where any time in, say, the last 50 years or so, you've seen a rendition of it. Right here, over my shoulder, the stained glass window. Remember now? If you don't know this stained glass rose window, it depicts the ascension of Jesus. And every time worshipers come into this space, they cannot help but look at it each time. Well, we have not been able to be in this space together for some time now. So let me remind you about the window. Let me let you see it and remember why it is important for us. Jesus is standing at Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Ah, thus the significance. His hand is raised as he blesses his disciples, you the congregation, calling you, calling me, calling all of us to go forth in his name. Before the ascension of Jesus, in our reading from Luke's Gospel, Jesus makes a promise, a promise that power is going to fall upon them. And then he commissions them, sends them out in ministry. Then comes chapter 2, the arrival of that power that he promised, the one that we celebrate on Pentecost Day. This is the day we baptize and confirm our youth when we're not in a pandemic, of course. And why on this day? Because Pentecost reminds us, it reminds us of the power God has given the church, the power you will need in order to live into the call to ministry that God has given you. Yes, you are called to ministry. Now, you may be confused at this point, wondering and asking, Pastor Ed, I thought you were the minister, and pastors Tyr and Jeff, and yes, that is true that we are called to a set-apart ministry of leading a congregation, but all of us are called to ministry through our baptisms, through the Pentecost day, the receipt of the Holy Spirit, as it descends upon our lives, it empowers us to be in ministry wherever we happen to be, at work, at school, on the soccer field, volunteering for Meals on Wheels. We are called to be in ministry, to share the love and the mercy and the hope of Jesus Christ with all those whom we meet. I do not think it is for aesthetic purposes only that this stained glass window is a rose. I think it's functional as well. Think about it. A rose is something you give to someone on a day of joy. It's a beautiful, fragrant thing. But if you're not careful with it, a rose can also prick your finger and cause pain. So we must handle it delicately. The ministry of Jesus Christ is a fragrant, beautiful joy, but it is not without its thorns. Through your ministries, you might share a word that makes the comfortable uncomfortable, that turns our eyes toward the invisible. That would be the last, the least, the lost, those whom we don't often see. These thorns are an inevitable part of our ministries as followers of Jesus. But let me offer a piece of learned wisdom. 
The wounds caused by these thorns are a means of God's grace. Our own woundedness can be a source of healing because they reveal our own vulnerability, our own humanity. They reveal our own need for the grace and the healing power of Jesus Christ. At Duke Divinity School, the, ch the student chapel there is known as Goodson Chapel. <coughs> Ken Goodson was a pastor who served churches in western North Carolina. He was elected a bishop, spent several years as bishop here in Virginia. But after his retirement in 1980, he became the bishop in residence at Duke Divinity School. I got to know Bishop Goodson and his wife while I was there, ate many meals at their, at their kitchen table after doing chores and errands around the house to help them out. I would often speak with them about the love of my life, my fiancé at the time, now my wife, Sharon. Once when Sharon was visiting with me in Durham, I took her by to meet the Goodsons. He wanted, and Bishop Goodson wanted to know all about her, her home, her education, her career choice, her family. It was when Sharon was describing her paternal grandparents, George and Winifred Harley, that Bishop Goodson's eyes lit up. And then I began to notice tears welling up in the corners. He interrupted Sharon and said, choking back the tears, I knew your grandparents. Let me tell you a story. Then his eyes drifted back to a time many years ago, and he began to share the story. In 1926, Dr. George Way Harley and his wife Winifred arrived in Ganta, Liberia, on the west coast of Africa. He had received permission from the Methodist Church to build a medical facility there among the Mano people, 150 miles inland from the capital, Monrovia. While they were there, the Harleys had three sons. My wife, Sharon's father, was the youngest of the three. Dr. Harley was not only a physician, but he was also licensed as a local pastor, and he led worship every Sunday in the chapel that he built there in the village. <coughs> While the villagers were glad to come and receive medical services, they did not attend the worship services. As hard as the Harleys tried to connect with the people in the practice of their faith, there were just too many differences. Here we have this educated, privileged, white family from North America with native African peoples. The differences were just too stark. One day, the curious four-year-old middle son, Charles, was playing in the dispensary and he got into the cabinet and found some of the quinine that they had to drink every day to ward off malaria. Charles consumed some, 
And then he consumed some more, much more than he should have. He got very sick, and despite his father's best efforts, Charles died. His father and his mother were devastated. I mean, you can only imagine his father, an adept and educated physician, could not even save his own son. So they are far from family and friends. The Harleys had no means of emotional and faith support. The villagers stood there distant from them, not sure what to say, what to do. And with no one to help him, Dr. Harley cut the lumber to build the small casket for his son. Once the casket was built, he laid his son's body in it, and he hoisted it up onto his shoulder and carried it to the chapel for the funeral service. <coughs> no one attended except for the remaining family members. At the close of the service, Dr. Harley moved the casket to the graveside and lowered it in. And as he began shoveling the dirt, all that had happened up to this point caught up with him, and he fell to the ground in sobs of inconsolable pain and grief. No one but his wife came to his side. Eventually, he was able to cover the grave with the rich Liberian soil. And after a few moments of silence, the family forlornly departed for their family hut. It was as they were walking home that they began to hear a villager say, the white man cries like one of us. One person told another, who told two, who told four. And before long, the entire village was saying, the white man cries like one of us. That evening, Dr. Harley heard a knock at his door, and when he opened it, the village chief stood there. He said the entire village would be there for him and his family. Dr. Harley stepped outside and looked past the chief, and there was the entire village gathered outside their hut. That very next Sunday, as Dr. Harley walked into the chapel to lead worship, his eyes fell on the front row where his wife and now two children sat. <coughs> and he could not help but notice the place that Charles would have been. And then his eyes lifted, and he saw the rest of the seats, all the pews filled. The church was packed with members of the village, and it would be every Sunday thereafter. Sometime after this, the Harleys returned for a several-month-long furlough in the United States. And it is customary for missionaries to visit the congregations that support them with their prayer and finances. It was while traveling in North Carolina that the, the, the Harleys met Ken Goodson, who was a young pastor at the time, who drove Dr. Harley from church to church. As they were driving along one day, Dr. Harley shared the story of Charles's death and in closing said, my only regret is that I had to lose a son to reach these people. To which Goodson said, and don't you think that is exactly 
what God feels in losing a son, Jesus, and reaching people as a result? Dr. Harley felt the weight of all the months of grief and sadness lighten as he nodded in the affirmative. Now Sharon, my wife, knew her family history, but she didn't know all of the story about how the villagers in Ganta never really accepted the Harley family until they saw their tears, how their wounds were a means of God's grace. I've shared her story with many of you before, but I wanted to share it again today to remind you of how her story ties in to our story at Mount Olivet. That as we view the rose window of the ascension, that you might consider how your wounds can and will be a means of God's grace in the lives of the people God is calling you to go and serve where you work, where you study, where you shelter, where you walk, where you run, where you swim, where you volunteer, wherever you are. These are the people God has called you to serve, to be in ministry with. Thanks be to God. Amen.